Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, this is episode number two and I'm really excited to share today's episode with you all. My guest Jessica Ash and I are chatting all things fat loss, insulin resistance, why calories don't always matter and how to correctly fuel and move your body without wrecking your hormones. Jessica Ash is a functional clinical nutritionist and health coach based in Southern California and she specialises in female hormones, gut health, anti-aging and metabolism. Just five years ago, she was suffering with the symptoms of PCOS and three autoimmune diseases on a daily basis. Flash forward to now, she's healthier than ever and she's transitioned from focusing on her own healing journey to helping hundreds of women change their mindset about their body and hack their hormones so that they can ditch their symptoms and live life on fire. So hi Jess and welcome to the Hormones and Harmony podcast. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I'm really looking forward to this episode. I reached out to you a couple of months ago on Instagram, actually, because I came across your profile and instantly I was just like, I need to connect with this girl. She's gone through similar things to myself. So I definitely want you to maybe go over your health story and your health journey, how you got into the nutrition and wellness field? Yeah, yeah. So I think my journey starts similar to a lot of women. Um, I, when I was very young, actually, like I'd just gone through puberty, I was around 14. I was already struggling with irregular periods. And um, for the first year, it was great. But then after that, I had continuous bleeding. And so the doctors didn't tell me why. They just tested my hormones and said I had low progesterone. And now I look back and know that was normal for a 15-year-old, but apparently not to them. So they put me on a uh, low-dose progesterone birth control. And I was on that until I was about 18. And that's when I already was starting to get interested in health. I did have some eating disorders in high school. And so uh, I did get into the health and wellness field, just like a lot of other women do, because we have a poor relationship with our bodies and we want to change it, right? We're, you know, we're trying to restrict and we're trying to exercise. And so I did, I will be honest, like I got into the nutrition field because I was trying to change my body. And I thought, oh, maybe if I become a nutritionist, I'll have my dream body. Um, So I actually became a personal trainer first and I worked as a personal trainer for a while, but I started to notice something. I was obviously not feeling good post birth control and eventually got diagnosed with PCOS and three autoimmune diseases. But during that time, I was kind of just, I didn't know that those things were going on. I just couldn't lose weight. I always felt bad. I had horrible periods. Um, my cycles were all over the place, headaches, you know, that just classic hormone imbalance headaches and, and, uh, 
just never feeling like myself. But I also was working with a lot of women at the gym and realizing that they were going through the exact same things. And this idea of calories in, calories out is the thing that makes weight loss didn't make sense to me because here I was eating 1,200 calories and exercising two hours a day, and my clients were doing the same thing. And not only were they not seeing results, they were seeing anti-results, I guess I could say, where they were gaining weight, they were feeling mentally and emotionally exhausted, they were waking up not feeling rested, and they were not seeing the results that they wanted. And I also noticed, because a lot of my clients were more middle-aged, um, they were aging very quickly. Um, and, and that was not me being rude, like I saw it on their skin, they just looked haggard, and their skin looked pale, and they just looked exhausted. And I thought to myself, what's going on? You know, everything that I've been told is not seeming to work for these women and for myself. And so that's when I started to dig into hormones. I started to dig into uh, health, mostly just to help my clients at first because I was working with a lot of women. But as I started to really study and research, I started to apply a lot of the things that I was learning to myself and it was working. And then I started to apply it to them and it was working. And so I thought, I got to pursue this. I got to, I got to, I want to work with women more one-on-one -on -one in a clinical setting. And I want to get out of this gym <laughs> because people just want quick results and they don't actually want to work on their health. So uh, that's kind of when I pursued becoming a clinical nutritionist and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and a holistic health coach. And that's kind of how uh, who I am was born. And along the way, I did get diagnosed with diseases, but it's kind of the same treatment. Diagnosis doesn't really matter. It's more you got to take care of your body. You've got to balance your blood sugar. You've got to go in and remove inflammation and heal the gut. So um, yes, I did get diagnosed, but I don't like to super focus on that because there are plenty of women who are struggling and haven't gotten diagnosed yet. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not always about the diagnosis. Sometimes people come in and see us and say, I've got a list of all the conditions that I'm dealing with and hand it over and they kind of own that as their personality and that's who they are. But just so that the listeners know, what were those three conditions that you were struggling with? Yeah, so yeah, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and I don't know if it's post-pill or if I had it before the pill. Um, and then I do have lupus, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and then celiac disease, uh, which I don't really struggle with very much anymore. I mean, I guess I would be considered to still have it, but none of my markers are on my test anymore. So uh, I guess you could say I don't have an autoimmune disease anymore if we were looking at the tests. Yeah, it's hard to say. I know a lot of people say, like, I reversed this condition, like, I'm cured, but definitely I like to think of it as being in remission because if you were this week to go back to the life that you were living, the foods that you were eating, it's just going to come straight back. So it is kind of the laying dormant, and you may have a genetic predisposition to these things, but you're in control of whether those genes are expressed or not. And if you suffer right. with the conditions and symptoms that you did. So I think that's an amazing story. And yeah, just putting into practice what you learned. And I bet it took a lot of self-education and like researching on the internet, just trying to figure out your own health. And now you've got all this knowledge to spread the word and help other women. So that's just amazing. Yeah, so thank what you. I'll touch on now is the relationship of our hormones and how that relates to our weight women struggling with weight issues, whether that's the, the gaining weight, the unable to lose the weight. What are our hormones doing in our body and how does that relate to whether we, we can lose weight or not? 
Yeah. So we have to understand that weight loss is, is so much more complicated than the energy that we take in and then the energy that we burn. Uh, there is a determining factor of how efficiently we burn those calories and how efficiently we uh, output energy. So you could be eating 900 calories and you're not outputting energy well, and so you're still gaining. Whereas that girl over there, she has an efficient metabolism and balanced hormones, and she's eating 2200, and her body is outputting efficient energy. So it's really about supporting the metabolism when it comes to calories and calories out. Yes, calories do matter, but hormones matter more. And what I mean by that is uh, specifically insulin uh, and leptin are very important. So insulin is your storage hormone. I like to call it a storage hormone. And it kind of acts like a key to your cells to allow glucose into the cell to be utilized. And so many women are insulin resistant because inflammation affects your ability to be sensitive to the hormone insulin. And so if you're insulin resistant, your body is not going to utilize or your cells are not going to utilize glucose very well at all. And so your body to protect itself needs to put that blood sugar somewhere else because it cannot stick around or it will damage your circulatory system. So where does it start to push it? Well, that storage hormone, AKA insulin stores it in your fat cells. So, uh, that's the first thing is I, I very commonly see insulin resistance. It's very common amongst women, especially when, when women with PCOS and then with insulin resistance comes leptin resistance and leptin is the hormone that what we could call the satiety hormone and your fat cells make a satiety hormone and tell that tells your brain, we have enough fat in storage. We don't need to eat more. And so when you're leptin resistant, you're not going to get that signal and you're just going to want to keep eating and not be able to really trust your hunger signals because you're not sensitive to that hormone that's saying, hey, stop eating. We have enough fat in storage. And then when it comes to sex hormones, things like uh, estrogen and progesterone, those very uh, well regulate how sensitive you are to insulin. So uh, they, they help with either insulin sensitivity or uh, insulin resistance. And so we need to make sure that our hormones are balanced like estrogen and progesterone and even to stop and then when it comes to our adrenal hormones, you know, the stress hormone cortisol, our belly fat cells are very sensitive to cortisol. And so if we have a lot of stress hormones circulating, our belly fat cells will store fat to protect our vital organs in times of stress. And then again, you know, thyroid hormone is also important because the thyroid uh, makes T4, which gets turned into T3, and then T3 is used by our cells to regulate our metabolism. Every single cell needs T3 in order to burn energy properly. So that's kind of like a summary of the, the hormones that women need to be aware of. That was an amazing overview. I think you've touched on all the relevant organs and body systems that are really integral to fat loss and the ability to burn fat as muscle, uh, as fuel, sorry. Mm -hmm. Not as muscle. Yeah. We want muscle. <laughs> <laughs> so just going back to the insulin resistance, apart from the weight issues, the weight gain, inability to lose weight, what are some other indicators of insulin resistance that you commonly see? So obviously we can get blood work or functional testing to maybe indicate some degree of insulin resistance, but are there any like physical signs that we could look out for to that our body's trying to tell us that we're not maybe utilizing the sugars effectively. 
Yeah, I love that question because there are even right now, like the blood tests that are available, the hemoglobin A1C and even a fasting insulin test, those are not 100% accurate. So we could still be having a little bit of insulin resistance, meaning that our cells are not uptaking glucose, whether it's in our muscles, which remember the cells that usually take up muscle or glucose are usually (laughs) our muscles and our liver. Those are the ones that have a high need for glucose. And so we can be insulin resistant in certain areas of our body and that's not going to show up on a blood test. And so I always say like, don't take a blood test as Bible. You need to even go a little deeper. If you're still having signs of insulin resistance, listen to your body over a lab test. Um, slow wound healing is a, is a really big sign. So if you don't have anemia or zinc deficiency and you're still seeing like wounds are slow to heal, scars are slow to heal, uh, that would be the first thing that I, I is, a, is an indicator. Also, insulin resistance does cause hair loss very often because insulin is going to damage the hair follicle. Um, you'll get that kind of male pattern baldness or uh, you'll get a lot of hair loss on the sides of your head. Um, and then blood sugar also can get da- high blood sugar can damage that. So that goes hand in hand. And then also um, just like really bad irritability and mood swings. So people do not realize how much insulin affects brain, the brain health. Obviously we now know that insulin has a role to play in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And so it's very damaging to our brain cells. And, uh, so you'll definitely see like not just irritability and mood swings, but you can see anxiety, you can see depression, a lack of drive. So, uh, I would, I would always look to the brain as well. And then the moods. It really does affect the whole body. There's not just one thing that it affects and that's the kind of signal that something's wrong it can be from the top of your head to the the tip of your toe really in its its negative actions so it can be hard to indicate but then again like you said the blood testing it can be helpful but it's not always accurate and the foods that you eat maybe the day before can skew some of the effects But what I do like to recommend is women using a glucometer to measure the blood sugar like postprandial, so one hour or two hours after meals because we can recommend the healthy carbs, the complex carbs like the sweet potato, the squash and quinoa, but in one person that can work fine, but in another person that can really spike the blood sugar as would table sugar. So it it could be a really quote healthy food that's spiking your blood sugar. So it's important to individualize and really find your personal diet. Oh yes, I absolutely agree. And a glucometer was one of the foundational things that I learned to implement early on. And I do have a very low tolerance for carbohydrates. I think it's just in my genetics. And so, uh, I had no idea, you know, I was eating paleo, but I was eating a high carb or higher carb paleo diet, just, you know, sweet potatoes and, and even like almond flour crackers and tapioca starch, all those things are high in carbs. And if you're not doing them right, or you're doing too many of them, oh, it could just wreck you. So uh, I absolutely believe every woman with PCOS, especially, but most women in general should be using a glucometer. Yeah, exactly. Compared to the standard American diet, the paleo diet is low carb as it is, but then again, right. in the paleo diet, there are versions of high carb and really low carb. So when you, when someone says they're on a paleo diet, it's really important to really investigate what they're eating and also portion sizes as well. Are they eating a ton of paleo treats and dates, balls, quote, healthy sugars, but again, it's just too much for the individual body. 
So if a client came to you, a female wanting to lose weight, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. If we are not feeling good in our body, if we are unhealthy because of our weight, fat tissue is actually an endocrine organ and it can release inflammatory compounds and certain pro-inflammatory cytokines in the body as well. So it can be helpful to lose weight in some situations. We'll come in, we'll move on to the women who it's not suitable for. So the women who don't really need to lose weight and who can go too far with that. But for the women who could benefit from some weight loss, rather than the calories in, calories out model that's often recommended, what would be your advice and approach to that? Yeah, thank you for phrasing that question in that way. I think on social media, if you don't mind me making a note, it right now there's kind of this new movement where we're glorifying i don't want to say glorifying but we're we're definitely saying that being overweight is is okay and healthy and and there needs to be a clarification made uh that is not true there's a difference between having some a healthy amount of fat on your body and being overweight to the point where fat is actually like you said acting as its own endocrine organ and making too much estrogen and is inflammatory and wreaking havoc on your quality of life and your longevity. So yes, there is definitely uh, a a place where you want to be fat wise. Now, obviously we don't want to get underweight either, but when it comes to losing fat, I always say instead of losing weight, let's say losing fat. uh, and, And that's mostly for my clients because for so long they've been in that mindset of, I need to lose weight. And they're just trying to see that number move down on the scale. And I always say, you know, just because that number is moving down doesn't mean that's fat. It could be muscle. It could be a bone. It could be collagen. So we need to make sure we're losing fat and not weight and we're doing it in the right way. And many times if we just restrict calories, we're not really actually seeing fat loss at first. We're seeing muscle loss because cortisol, which is going to be elevated when we lower our calories too low burns through muscle. So that's like the first clarification. I never go for calories in, calories out until it's kind of the last resort. The first thing is I go over in detail with a fine tooth comb what they're doing that could be promoting insulin resistance. So for instance, you need to be sleeping. If you're not sleeping or you're not sleeping well, you're of course going to be insulin resistant and you're going to have hunger like an elephant. You're going to feel like constantly need to eat and eat and eat to keep your energy up because your body's going to have cravings for sugar and salt. So that's the first thing is sleep is imperative. And if someone's not sleeping, they could restrict all the calories in the world. They're going to have a hard time losing weight and keeping it off. Um, That's my first kind of step. The second step is, are you mindlessly snacking throughout the day um, or are you eating three satisfying full meals? Us women, we're snackers. We have this weird relationship with food many times. And so we like think food is bad, like sitting down and eating a full meal, like heaven forbid. But then we snack and snack and snack and then come home and are starving. And so we just binge on everything in the cupboards. And then the next day we pretend like it didn't happen and we do it all over again. Whereas if we could just feed ourselves a normal, regular diet, nourishing and satisfying meals, we wouldn't actually have a need to do that because we wouldn't be starving. Um, So that's the first thing. The next thing is we got to make sure they're just regular satisfying meals that balance blood sugar, that contain a protein, a carb, a fat, and a starch. And uh, then also movement and exercise. If someone's sedentary and, and sitting all day long and that's their job, that's okay, but we have to 
incorporate movement into their life. And it doesn't necessarily have to be high intensity exercise. It can be walking at their lunch break, walking before work, just getting movement in, maybe at a standing desk to their desk so they can stand and sit at work, you know, just trying to incorporate movement into their life and then stress levels. So if they're emotionally stressed, mentally stressed, um, they're having poor relationships or they just went through a trauma or a divorce or something like that, they need to get their adrenals in check um, or their, their body is just going to have lots of cortisol and their belly is going to store more fat. So there are a lot of lifestyle factors and nutrition factors that I like to look at first that could be preventing uh, the, the ability to stay at a healthy weight. And I like to eliminate those barriers, barriers first. And usually that's enough to get someone losing, you know, that good one and a half to two pounds per week. I think it's been drilled into women's heads that we need to eat tiny portions of food, bird-like mm-hmm. meals, and we should be, yeah, like you say, snacking all day and picking at foods and just not having a big plate of food in front of us. We don't, it may feel uncomfortable to certain people. I've had a ton of comments about the amount of food that I eat. And they mm. say, oh my God, you eat that much? Like, how how can you eat so much? I can only eat, say, a tiny bowl of soup for my lunch, whereas you've got like three Tupperware tubs full of food. But if I think of food as fuel, and I think we should change the way that we look at the foods that we eat and the portion sizes and not be scared of eating a big meal, like you said, that's balanced. Yeah, I completely agree. Like when I say that you should be well fed, I mean like you should be well fed. Yeah. And we have this idea too that we need to eat less than men, but uh, we don't need to eat that much less than men really. Like, you know, maybe a, a couple hundred calories, but not that much. Yeah, I agree. And if you're doing <laughs> similar activities to men, say strength training or your job is quite active, then there's no reason why you don't require as many calories as a man does. So the fact that our hormones require a lot of energy and nutrients as well, if we're not eating enough food, we're not being exposed to all the micronutrients, the building blocks that we need to create our estrogen, progesterone, and build that uterine lining and cycle. We need energy, food, and nutrients to do that well. Yeah, I completely agree. So switching things up and going in the opposite direction, when it comes to weight, people scared of eating enough food and gaining weight. And Mm -hmm. do you have a lot of clients or see a lot of women under eating and maybe over exercising? Because I see commonly those two kind of paired together and they're trying to reach the body goals and aesthetics that they see maybe on social media, but they're actually harming the body in the in the way that they're doing it. Yes. Yes. So like I always try to bring to women's minds. Most of the women on social media uh, have disordered eating. Um, I'm not going to diagnose them with something, yeah. but even if it's not an actual eating disorder, it's disordered eating. And so if you're mimicking your diet habits after somebody who is, is, 
having disordered eating habits, that's, that's, a, you know, not a, a great thing. Also, I would say about 90% of my, of women that come to me in my practice are under eating in some way, shape or form, uh, just because they, they're doing it unknowingly most of the time. But then some of them are stuck in this kind of cycle of just restricting long term. They've restricted so long that now when they do eat more, they do gain weight because their thyroid has slowed down so much that they now have to almost heal their metabolism. So when a woman does voice concern about gaining weight, um, you kind of have to tell her, like, you probably are going to gain some weight. Uh, if you have restricted for too long, you have to heal your metabolism. And how do you heal your metabolism? Well, you have to tell your body, it's okay, you're fed, you're good. And so many times I say that's like the healing five pounds. Uh, there is a period of time where you eat a little bit more, you gain about five pounds of fat. Uh, I love to pair that with some exercise because then you're building muscle and so you're, you're uh, efficiently burning that fat. Uh, and then eventually when you're your body feels safe and fed, your metabolism speeds up, your hormones are balanced, you'll be able to lose that weight no problem. Your body will find a new set weight that's healthy for it. But I always say you kind of have to weigh. Do you want to keep restricting and keep struggling with your hormonal imbalances, your hair loss, um, your skin issues, your constipation, or do you want to maybe gain five pounds? It's not, it's going to be gone in probably three to six months and be healthy long term. So, um, definitely have to maybe gain some weight sometimes to lose some weight healthfully. There are obviously the people who are intentionally under eating and they know that they are maybe mm -hmm. because of an eating disorder or disordered eating, they are different things. But for the women who don't know that they're under eating and they're not sure what, what types of foods to be eating, how much, what are some signs and symptoms that indicate under eating in women? that maybe not related to weight. Yeah, so it's it's really funny because there are a lot of things that women struggle with on a daily basis that they don't realize are signs and symptoms of under eating. So uh, the number one thing that I see is that you're having to snack all the time. Um, if you're having to snack an hour and a half after you ate a meal, there's a problem there. That meal did not fill you up. It did not satisfy you or nourish you. So first of all, the first gauge is if you cannot go three to four hours without eating another meal or a snack, then you're probably not eating enough. That's kind of my gauge for how much you should eat at a meal. And then also cravings. So if you're constantly craving sugar and sweets and carbohydrates, um, you need to be eating regularly. Um, another thing is, and I, this is a little bit more controversial, but binge eating. So I see very commonly women who are struggling with binging. It has a lot more to do with the fact that they're just underfed. And so their brain is overriding their body in order to get whatever nutrients it can. And so I see that very, very commonly. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm struggling with a little bit of binge eating, um, I obviously remind them that if they feel like that is a mental issue or they need to see a health professional, a mental health professional, that they 
should do that. Uh, but I just focus on helping them nourish themselves and eat full satisfying meals. And I'd say in about 80% of cases, people say, oh, I just haven't binged in a while. Like I don't feel the need to do so anymore. And I'm like, yeah, cause you're actually fed, you know? So uh, that's, that's another one. Um, some other signs are like, you're just stressed out mentally and emotionally. You feel irritable all the time, moody. You get that afternoon crash. Uh, like you start to get really, really tired around two or 3 PM and you just kind of hit a slump there. Um, also sleep. If you're not eating enough, you're going to not sleep very well. And then the biggest, another big and very common issue is hair loss. So if you're not eating enough to nourish your endocrine glands, why do you think your body's going <laughs> to give any nutrients to growing hair? Yeah, I think hers kind of the luxury. Your body doesn't prioritize whether you've got silky, glossy, lovely looking hair when maybe you've not got enough fuel for your brain function or for your immune system. It's going to keep you alive over looking good. Same with goes with the skin as well. It's not going to care if you've yes. got acne or psoriasis if internally you're kind of breaking down. So when it comes to the under eating as well, I think definitely the mental symptoms are a huge factor and a huge sign so whether it's brain fog anxiety and the constantly thinking about food that is a big one as well so have you ever heard yes, of the you. minnesota starvation study uh i have uh, i haven't i haven't looked at it in a very long time but if you want to fill the audience in i think it's so important for every woman to know yeah so i've not i've not gone into the details of it it's kind of just an overview that a group of males were actually put on a restricted diet. And I think by restricted, it was only like, I think around 1500 calories, which isn't massively restricted compared to what we would think. And these days, I don't think they'd be allowed to get away with this. So this was done like many years ago. And the men went through a wide range of symptoms and side effects. A common one was the mental side of things. They became obsessed with food. They would dream about working in a bakery or becoming a chef. And long, even long-term, this really affected the body as well. Not only did they lose a ton of weight and mess up their metabolism, but from that moment, the body became really attached to food. And it's kind of evolutionarily how it would happen that any time of famine or a period of time where your body's under immense stress and restriction, your body's going to seek out food and become obsessed with finding and searching for food. And that's what's similar with the binge eating as well. So if someone goes all day without eating any healthy fats or proteins or allowing themselves to have a treat every now and again, they're going to feel restricted and the body's going to make them binge and eat all the foods and get the nutrients that it needs. Right. I always say like binging is, is the name we call it, but in your body's mind, that's just storing up as much fuel as it can, just in case there's a famine again, because a famine to your body is just not being uh, exposed to food or regularly. For the women who aren't sure if they're eating enough, so we've spoke about the components of the plates that they should be looking for. So going every four hours at least, uh, being able to get through that period of time without crashing and feeling hypoglycemic. But how do women know if they're eating enough for their body? Do they need to track the calories in a way to make sure that they're getting enough? Or can they just go off the body signals? How do you, how do you recommend women kind of listen to the body and um, determine how much food that they need? 
Yeah, so uh, I try to just use signs and signals if we can, um, and usually that's enough, but sometimes women have a really hard time uh, just trusting their bodies or listening to their bodies after so long of not doing that, and they need something a little bit more solid. So uh, using a calorie tracker like MyFitnessPal can be helpful as a tool short-term. I'm not a big fan of long-term calorie tracking just because your bodies change on a daily basis, and it can become a crutch. You're you're getting so obsessed with the numbers that you're forgetting that different parts of your cycle, you're going to need different amounts of food. So listening to your body still trumps a calorie tracker. Uh, but to kind of get some insight into how much you're eating, if you have no idea, that can be very helpful. Sometimes, you know, women come to me and they kind of give me like a day in the life of what they're eating. And I know immediately off the top of my head that they're eating like 800 calories. And so I need them to see that for themselves. They don't believe me when I say you're not eating enough. So for them to be able to track that and to see, wow, I really am not eating enough. Like I'm eating enough as much calories as maybe a two-year-old should. So uh, that can be a helpful tool in just kind of waking someone up and saying and showing them how little they are eating. Um, and it can be a helpful tool. Like I check in from time to time with myself or in times of stress, I don't have the same hunger signals. And, and so I'm like, Oh, I'm not feeling very good today. Or I have a really, I'm having a bad period this month, or I'm really not myself. And so I do, I say, you know what, maybe I haven't been eating enough and I'll do like a whole day of tracking just to see, Oh wow, I am kind of under eating. Uh, but usually like keeping it, uh, I don't want to give a number because it's different for everybody and the number doesn't really matter but anything under 1800 calories you're most likely under eating especially if you're active yeah i like to do that myself and just reinstall the my fitness pal app and just get a sense maybe a couple of times a year just to see where i'm at if i'm if i've accidentally under eaten because i do not want to do that i know all the possible negative effects that can happen so i'm actually trying to make sure i'm eating enough and if my workouts increased or yeah, if I'm extra stressed that month, I make sure that I'm getting all the nutrients that I need and supporting my body through that process. Yeah, I agree. So when it comes to nutrition, do you have any kind of guidelines that you like to follow for most women? Is there any food that you recommend to include? Is there also food that you tend to recommend avoiding? Yeah, yeah. So obviously there's tons of bioindividuality, just meaning that everyone is very different when it comes to food. One man's food can be another man's poison. Absolutely. But there are kind of some guidelines. So obviously we want to avoid processed foods and additives. Um, I don't really like trans fats. There's like conflicting information with things like canola oil and soybean oil to me are just out. They're just kind of rancid oils and they're high in omega-6s anyways, so they can lead to more inflammation. Um, it, gluten is one of those things where I just believe it's so much better for every single woman, especially if she just wants to have a higher quality of life, just get it out of your life. Uh, and then dairy is kind of up in the air for me. There are, uh, you know, that in the recent years, dairy has just become demonized. And uh, 
I don't really think that all dairy is created equal. I think raw dairy is very different than pasteurized, processed, low-fat dairy. Like you can't even consider those in the same category. So it's really very relative to the person and it can be nutrient dense in certain cases. Uh, But I usually stick to a very paleo style template with a little tweaks here and there. Like some people do do well with a little bit of grains in their diet. Some people are are inflamed by grains uh, to the point where they shouldn't eat them at all. And then uh, some people need a therapeutic ketogenic diet. They don't do well with starchy carbohydrates at all. And so they feel so much better without them in their diet. And if done well, that can be a huge life changer for some women. So it really just depends on the person. And usually I uh, take their experience, their dietary history into account. So if they've never just eaten like a normal whole foods diet, we start there. And then uh, if they're still not seeing any progress or results or they're still having symptoms, that's where we start to tweak. But I try to to uh, do the least amount of food fear as possible. So I want women to eat a variety of foods. And if they have the gut health that's able to do that, let's do it. What would you, what advice would you give to someone who is still fat phobic? I know we've moved a long way from where we were maybe in the eighties that fat causes heart disease and clogs the arteries. But I do still see women who are kind of restricting dietary fats for whatever reason maybe they think they're high in calories or I'm not sure but what what advice would you give to someone who is still on the fence of fats and not really including as much as they want to or should be Yeah. So I always say fats are the building blocks of hormones and they are the building blocks of our cells. So they actually allow our cells to be more permeable. And if you care about your skin health or your hair health, like I try to take them, I I hit them where it hurts with the aesthetics. I say, if you want healthy hair and healthy skin and a vibrant glow, Uh, healthy fats are going to be your number one best friend. Also, fat burns fat. Um, Carbs usually end up being stored as fat if you eat too much. So it's kind of like I always have them kind of switch their views of carbs and fat and instead increase the fats. You're going to be satiated. You're going to feel fertile. It supports hormonal or hormonal balance and uh, carbs are kind of a condiment. So we kind of figure out your carb tolerance and keep it at a level that works for your body. But for anyone that is uh, fat phobic, just stop being fat phobic. They're so nutrient dense and they have uh, help you absorb all those fat soluble vitamins like vitamins A, D, and K, which are so necessary for not just like aesthetic reasons, but also bone health and liver health and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And I tend to, whenever you mention the aesthetics and how your skin, hair and nails look, women kind of just jump at that and they'll do anything once you once you mention that. So that's a good way to get someone on your side, definitely. And I still see a lot of people following a low-fat plant-based diet. So the high-carb, low-fat diet and they're connecting that to longevity and disease prevention and they believe that animal protein will cause cancer and create inflammation within the body and mess with our hormones. So what are your thoughts on the vegan diet? 
You know, um, I respect all people's dietary choices, uh, but I do like to educate and inform people who think they're doing a vegan diet for health reasons. So for people that are ethical, uh, that's their own journey. And I, you know, I won't get into that. And I actually believe that a, uh, responsible omnivore diet can actually be more ethical than a vegan diet. Uh, but when it comes to health, uh, veganism has some holes just because we've never seen a society that is healthy and su has successfully lived a long time eating strictly plants. There's always been some kind of animal food, whether it was bugs, whether it was organ meats, uh, whether it was fish, uh, shellfish, there's always been some kind of animal sourced protein and uh, nutrients. Remember, animals are very nutrient dense because they're taking the, they're taking nature itself, grass, sunshine, fresh flowing water, bugs from the ground, soil. They're taking that into their body and they're breaking it down in a way that allows us to be able to absorb it. So their flesh and the meat of an animal and the organ meats of an animal is that concentrated source of nutrients of years of living their best life. And so obviously that's why we want to eat ethically raised meat and meat from happy animals. Uh, but it is like nature's multivitamin. I always tell women, stop looking at meat as this kind of like vegan propaganda has really demonized animal foods. And that is not the case at all. It's actually the opposite. Plant-based foods are difficult for the body to digest. Plants have their own defense mechanisms that they've set up to make sure that animals don't eat their children. Just like animals, they are living. They're not the same. They're not sentient beings, but they are absolutely alive. And so they have their own ways of protecting themselves. Themselves. And so plants are low-grade inflammatory to digest constantly. And so meat can sometimes be easier for someone to digest, especially if they have gut inflammation because it's digested higher up in the digestive tract. So that might be the only nutrients they're absorbing at the moment. So uh, that's kind of like where I start. And then a lot of times vegans will come to me and they have all types of issues like anemia and low zinc and B12. And a plant-based diet does lower your stomach acid. And so stomach acid is kind of that defense mechanism of the whole digestive tract. And so if we don't have acidic stomach acid that's acidic enough, it's supposed to be as acidic as battery acid. And sometimes I've seen it as more like apple cider vinegar, then you're not being protected or protected from those uh, bacteria and pathogens and viruses that are coming in on your food. You're always going to be exposed to microorganisms, but your stomach acid is usually powerful enough to break those down and kill them before they even hit the gut. The problem is we're not getting that anymore. And so I very commonly see vegans with just wrecked digestion because it's not necessarily about the food that they're eating. It might be, especially if it's not working for their body, but it's also that a high fat diet or at least a moderate fat diet and protein rich diet is necessary for making enzymes, for making hydrochloric acid and for bile flow. And if you're not getting bile flow, you're going to see uh, your hormones get all messed up and you're not going to have a high functioning digestive system. Yeah, totally agree. It's a great overview of the vegan diet. And I, I actually eat probably more vegetables than the most vegans do and I'd say eat 80% plants and then have the meat as a condiment at the side and eat ethically organic well curd for animals as well so I'm definitely all yes. for the ethical approach to things but I'm also aware that my body requires certain nutrients that 
I can't get from a plant-based diet solely. And I'm glad you touched on the digestive aspects as well with the vegan diet. And I find that a lot of people deal with constipation and reflux, and that is possibly linked to the st- low stomach acid. How, how do you find digestive issues and gut health relating to weight loss? Yeah, so we have to consider that digestive health is going to affect our endocrine system because if we're not absorbing nutrients, that's the first problem is if we're not assimilating the nutrients from our foods well, our endocrine system has a high need for specific nutrients to function properly. And so if we're not getting the nutrients from our food, our thyroid's going to be struggling, our adrenals are going to be struggling, and our body will definitely not prioritize reproduction if there's not enough of certain minerals like selenium and zinc or antioxidants like COQ10 or vitamin D. So that's kind of the first problem. And then we get that second problem is if there's pathogens present, if there's infections going on, we call them co-infections, then these infections are a stressor. Like your body's like, dude, there's fungus growing in my gut. Like I'm not going to chill out until it's gone. And so we see high cortisol or many times adrenal dysregulation where we maybe see a inverted circadian rhythm where somebody has low cortisol in the morning and high cortisol at night. They're not sleeping really well because guess what? Bugs like to play around in the evening. And so then your sleep is impacted. And so you're not going to be able to lose weight because you're not sleeping. So uh, we can't underestimate the power of getting our gut issues figured out. And then also if we're inflamed, if our gut is inflamed and we have inflammation, our immune system is always on, our body tends to retain a lot of water and to uh, want to store more fat as protection to our vital organs. So we kind of get this extra layer of fat, like lymphatic fluid. It just looks kind of puffy and it just, uh, you know, it's hard to determine what is fat and what is maybe extra fluid, interstitial fluid, lymphatic fluid, uh, but inflammation can definitely contribute to weight gain as well. If there's inflammation in the gut, it's just going to go all throughout the body and again affects every single cell and system within the body as well. Inflammation is one of the root causes of insulin resistance and insulin resistance is obviously one of the reasons that we can gain weight as well. So definitely it's all interconnected as with everything in the body. There's no what happens in the gut doesn't just stay in the gut. Uh, Similarly to hormones, it's not just about what's going on in the ovaries or the adrenal glands or the thyroid. It's about your thoughts and your digestive health and your immune system. So we can't just, I think that's what the beauty of holistic and functional medicine is that we actually address the whole person and we're not sending people to a gastroenterologist for the gut health and an endocrinologist for the hormones we really take a step back and look at the person in front of us and assess what they're going through at the moment, listening to their symptoms and trying to identify the root causes of their issues. Yes. No, thank you for making that, uh, I guess, connection between insulin resistance and inflammation. I think a lot of people don't know that and it's so important to know. And I just want to move over to the lifestyle side of things. So we touched on sleep, stress management, and I just want to focus a bit more on exercise. So we know that exercise is good for us, but when is too much not a great thing? And what are some of the things that overtraining can lead to? Yeah, so there 
like you said, there's a fine line. And I think um, a moderate amount of exercise, especially high intensity exercise can be beneficial for most women. There are certain women, especially if your adrenals are impaired, that you might do better with like a low intensity exercise like Pilates or bar or yoga or just simple walking. But for the majority of women, uh, especially those that struggle with insulin resistance, uh, high intensity exercise and strength training can absolutely make you more insulin sensitive. I always like to remind women that your leg muscles are one of the biggest uh, uptakers of glucose. And so the more leg muscle that you have, the more glucose you're going to be able to uptake and utilize. And so, you know, we, we in our society right now, it's all about the big booty and the squats. And I you know, I'm not, I don't do it for the big booty. I do it for the functional, uh, the functional reasons that allow me to be more sensitive to insulin and allow me a much better carb tolerance. So I do believe that strength training and HIT is the way to go if you want some effective fat burning long term exercise. Ditch the chronic cardio because it's not really fat burning and you're not really like making your your body work or putting yourself into that. Because exercise is a little bit of a stressor, so you want to add a little stress, but not to the, too much stress to the point where you're going in the wrong direction. Uh, the best way to know if you're if you're tolerating exercise is to know that you're recovering about an hour after. So yes, you should feel tired and fatigued after exercise, but at about an hour later, you should feel energized and feel better and more mentally clear. All those endorphins and dopamine are kicking in. If you do not recover well and you just feel fatigued and tired and exhausted and, and unmotivated, then you're doing too much or maybe you're in a season of your life where the stress is just too high to add in that extra stress stressor of exercise. So uh, it's really relative. Like I know when I'm under high stress and I'm working long days, which right now I'm just really busy, you know, sometimes I'm working 12 hour days. That's not the time where I'm going to skimp on sleep and over exercise. I'm probably going to move my exercise routine down, simplify it a little bit, maybe do some 30 to 40 minute exercise routines instead of like six days a week, an hour and a half. You know, it's really dependent upon the season of life that you're in and the amount of sleep that you're getting. Uh, so exercise is relative and then also your cycle does matter. So if you're bleeding, you should probably take a little bit of a break or a rest because that's already depleting. And then an exercise on top of that can be more depleting. So, uh, I, I always recommend women just find something that they love to do that makes them feel good makes them feel in their body and become more aware of their body and uh, makes them feel more comfortable in their body and something that they look forward to because that's going to be easy to keep that habit long term and I think walking is really underrated as well just the power of yeah. getting outside obviously you can still do it on a treadmill but the additional benefit of just getting outside and maybe just unplugging going without your headphones in going in nature if possible and just getting outside that walk can actually decrease cortisol so it's suitable for pretty much anyone out there and I've never heard anyone say that they feel too exhausted to go outside for a 15-minute walk. And similarly with PCOS and, or insulin resistance, that action of taking a walk after eating, especially a carbohydrate-rich meal, can actually improve the uptake of glucose as well. So you're getting the benefit of the stress reduction, you're getting some exercise in, and you're also supporting your body with the uptake of glucose as well. So it's kind of a three for one. Yeah, no, I love that. I've seen my glucose points drop almost 80 points uh, when I've gone walking wow. after a high carb 
and it was like a five to 10 minute walk, not a crazy walk. So it's, it's, definitely is underrated yeah that's amazing i'm definitely gonna have to check my levels um pre and post walk as well that'll be really fascinating to see yes yeah so jess we're coming to the end of the interview now but i want to leave with just a few fun and quick questions just so the people listening at home can get to know you a little bit better the first question would be what did you have for breakfast this morning and obviously everyone's individual and and I'm not saying that your way of eating is the right way and everyone should go out and copy what you're doing but just to give people an idea of some breakfast ideas that are balanced with protein and the fat maybe and just some ideas away from cereal or toast the regular kind of breakfasts. Yeah, so I usually listen to my body when it comes to uh, breakfast and everyone's a little bit different. You know, everybody's goals are different. So I I don't always recommend this to everyone, but I do practice like an intermittent fast type fat fasting on some days, especially if I'm coming back from like holiday or a long time of maybe eating high sugar foods. I'm trying to get my blood sugar and my insulin resistance down. And so uh, I usually will fast for a maximum of 14 hours with nothing. And then I will break my fast with like a fat rich drink. So I actually started my day today with a blended chai latte. So it is brewed chai tea and it has a tablespoon of grass fed ghee in it, a tablespoon of coconut oil and a tablespoon of MCT oil. And then I like to add a little bit of carb and a little bit of protein. So I added collagen for my protein and I added cashew butter for my fat slash a little bit of carbohydrate. And that kind of holds me over until I eat my first meal of the day when I'm actually hungry. I always listen to my body. If I'm hungry, I just eat breakfast right away. But today I just wasn't that hungry. So I started with a fat rich drink. That drink sounds so good. Definitely, yeah, I definitely had the kind of matcha and some coconut butter, things like that. But yeah, the mm. chai tea sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I won't um, lie. When it comes to the morning as well obviously you're quite busy at the moment and we know that morning routines are helpful in setting up um, a successful productive and healthy day do you have a morning routine that you want to share with the audience listening yeah yeah of course I love morning routines I nerd out on people's morning routines I love like seeing what people do in their mornings but I agree I always say like to my clients how you start your morning is how you're gonna live your life and if you it is a way to get a hold of your life instead of let your life get a hold of you and so an hour morning routine for me is non-negotiable. If I can have a longer one, great, but I will make it a point to wake up early enough to have an hour before my day starts. And usually that means me waking up when it's dark outside, which is absolutely worth it to me. But obviously the, the perfect start to a morning routine is a good night's sleep. So if I know I'm going to have to wake up early to get my morning routine in, I'm going to make it a point to get to bed a little bit earlier the night before. Um, and then I usually just uh, make sure the rule is I cannot look at my phone for the first 30 minutes of my day. Because, you know, the minute I wake up, I have emails, DMs, I have to, <laughs> I, I can't not get to them. So I can't even look at my phone for 30 minutes. And I usually spend time with 
stillness with myself. So whether it's just me kind of sitting in my bed and reflecting on the previous day or just kind of thinking my thoughts or praying or uh, journaling, it just kind of depends on the morning, but I always spend about 30 minutes of just kind of stillness and quietness with myself. And then I'll turn on uh, a podcast. And a lot of people say like, well, do you listen to health podcasts? And I do health my whole day. So I actually listen to more fun podcasts. Um, I'm really into true crime or sometimes I'm into uh, like lore or folklore. I like like storytelling or I'll maybe listen to a fun fiction book. It just kind of depends, but it's something fun for me that first hour of the day. It's a me time kind of deal. And I'll just go about my morning routine. So I usually will coconut oil pull, swish around coconut in my mouth tongue scrape. And then I go downstairs and drink a big glass of water. Um, And then I either make breakfast or I make my morning drink and then just kind of meditate, make my bed. And then I get to my day. Uh, Sometimes I'll get some movement in in the morning, but usually I get to the gym middle of the day after I've worked a few hours. Yeah, that sounds really good. Is there a food, nutrients or supplement that you cannot live without? Oh, um, I have to, I, it's a tie between magnesium and grass-fed beef liver. Now, I'm not a huge fan of eating grass-fed beef liver. I try to once in a while, but I do take it in supplement form. I, I cheat a little bit. But those two are just so underrated. And uh, magnesium is so incredible for just healthy cycles, mental health, uh, anxiety, handling stress. And then grass-fed beef liver supports your own liver. It's super nutrient-dense, and it just gives you all those nutrients that are just lovely for hormonal health and just overall well-being. Yeah, I'm always trying to get my clients to start eating organ meats. And as you say, some people it just doesn't work for. I personally love them. I can eat chicken livers and hearts and kidneys all day long. So I'm glad I've got the the taste buds for that one. But yeah, beef liver capsules and organ meat complexes are definitely really helpful for those who can't stomach it at all. And yeah, they're packed with, they are nature's multivitamins, the organ meats that are so dense in the B vitamin, zinc and iron, all of the good stuff. I definitely need to get those recipes from you. <laughs> yeah, I just I just saute with butter or ghee and some onions and garlic and they just mm. taste amazing in my opinion. Okay. I, I definitely will try it because I've tried to like make it so palatable, like liver pate and all these things, and I'm like, I should just do it like that and try it out. Yeah, and it definitely takes some getting used to and I really accredit the my intake of organ meats to my hormonal healing and really boosting my ferritin levels and B vitamin stores. And I think it's one of the quickest ways. Obviously, we can go to we can turn to supplements, but sometimes food your body just sucks it up and just loves and craves it. Once you start to eat it, my body craves it, and I just cannot go without it anymore. I hope that's incredible. And is there anything that you're into lately? So you talked about the crime podcasts. It can be health related or not, but is there something new that you're into recently? Uh, Yeah, you know, I am a big fan of YouTube videos. I I actually like YouTube way more than I like podcasts. So I go through phases. Um, Right now I'm actually into just kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, 
law and just kind of like diving into law and financial health. Um, I have, didn't really have time to do that before. So I'm just really into uh, learning more about how to run a better business and being more comfortable with the laws surrounding business and finances and just, you know, optimizing uh, the way that I grow my business because I am in a period right now where just growing left and right. And so for me, it's just like, I'm really enjoying figuring it out how to structure and organize. And I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos on just structuring and organizing and investing, which is probably boring to most people, but no, no. I'm just like, I'm eating it up. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really interesting. Uh, uh, something that's on my list, my to-do list, and I kind of keep pushing it off and just... I think this year I need to do something similar and just really understand investments and business, finances, all of that stuff. Kind of educate myself on it because I don't know about you, but we're not really taught about anything like that, like writing a check or saving anything like that in school. So it's yeah. down to us to learn that. Yeah. And I was a business major in college and I still didn't learn any of that stuff. Really? So I always say, oh. <laughs> like, I always say like, you know, we got to have that real life experience and that uh, Google education yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as I hate Google I love it for just my own <laughs> my own education yeah. I've definitely googled for many hours of my life and final question is what's one piece of advice from this whole interview that you want to leave women with if there's just one thing that they either do or take away and will learn from this podcast what would that be you know um I would say that it all starts in your mind. So healing starts when you want to heal. Um, I've worked with hundreds of women. And so I see a, a pattern of kind of once they get a diagnosis, they feel like a victim, like they're a victim of their body. And obviously that does not cultivate a good relationship with your body if you feel like your body has betrayed you. And what we have to start to see is that our body does everything for our survival and our for, for our protection. And it works with what it's given and the tools that it has. And so we have to kind of see um, what part we play and make those changes. And our body many times responds with such positive and marvelous results. And, uh, that obviously starts in our mind. That change starts when we start to see like our body is our friend and not our foe. And we need to make peace with our bodies. We need to make peace with food and ditch the dieting and start to actually just nourish our bodies and give it what it's, what it's crying out for day after day by those signs and symptoms. Well, what an amazing way to wrap up the podcast. Jess, thank you so much for joining me today. This episode has been amazing. Can you just let everyone know, I'm sure they're dying to find out more about you and follow you on Instagram. I definitely recommend that you do because you're always dropping knowledge on a daily basis. So let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's It's been such an honor. Uh, I am most active on my Instagram at Jessica Ash Wellness. I also have a blog, jessicaashwellness.com, that I offer tons of downloadable free PDF resources. So I want women to be able to download those guides, print them out, put them on their fridge, or, or print them out and put them in a binder and be able to really study them and go back to them and then download another one when they've implemented that habit and are ready for the next thing. So they can find me either on Instagram or on my blog slash website. 
Yeah, I want to thank you again, Jess. And I know that you're really busy at the moment. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend this educating women and sharing your message. You're welcome back anytime. And I'll speak to you soon, Jess. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.